0: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm speaking with Artie Aryanpur. Artie is the CEO and founder of Seekster, a company looking to make it quick and easy for anyone to have real-time access to their health data. Artie shares his thoughts on why DNA is the ultimate tool for healthcare interoperability, what opportunities exist at the intersection of digital health and life science, and why a strong mission trumps a traditional business plan. Enjoy. Artie Poor, CEO and founder of Seekster, thanks for joining us today.
1: Joe, it's so nice to be here with you, AWS and Amazon. What a great day to have a great discussion about breaking down data silos
0: with you. I love it. I love it. So can you can you start by telling us a bit about Seekster and, and what you all do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Seekster is the leading healthcare technology company, Joe, that breaks down health data silos at scale. Our platform and technology aggregate disparate health data sources into a single 360 degree view of a patient in real time which this solves a multitude of challenges for life sciences, patient engagement and data interoperability.
0: Fantastic. And you, you, know, you have a background that's particularly suited to this daunting challenge of putting all these data sources together. So can share a bit about your background and, and how you got here today?
1: Yeah, look, um, I, I come from uh, the genomics and genetics, I guess, industry, I spent A decade and a half trailblazing that and building some uh, amazing clinical diagnostic um, tests and genomic services that were uh, helping pharma companies, that were helping um, uh, biotech companies and analytic companies and informatic companies. So I was very fortunate to be part of, you know, a time where next-gen sequencing was being pushed to the clinic and my team and I were the pioneers in doing that in rare disease and also in oncology. Now with Seekster, we're able to, you know, really think about how to connect the dots of data. And we achieved nationwide coverage of every single electronic health record from um, every hospital and medical group basically in the United States, genomic DNA profiles. Uh, wearables, pharmacy, and social determinants of health data, really putting the person at the center of healthcare and bringing all that data into a longitudinal health record. If I didn't come from my forward thinking, you know, um, genomics background and understanding how interoperable, Joe, DNA is, mm. I would have never. Been able to come up with you know Seekster and what our team has been able to achieve has just been incredible the last six years.
0: What about the the market dynamics in that consumer and clinical genetics space? Because you're, it, it, what I hear is that you had one important piece of the puzzle, um, but it sounds like you saw that there were other pieces floating out there that weren't being pulled into the the. Conversation: the longitudinal, you know, journey for, for people in, in in healthcare is that is that an accurate depiction?
1: Absolutely. While I was um, in clinical and consumer genetics genomics, um, I increasingly realized how siloed the data is and how uh, the patients are disintermediated from their data. Mm. Being in the genetic space, I definitely understood that DNA is in inherently interoperable, like I mentioned, because it's just ATCG. It doesn't matter what lab it comes out of. Right. However, all of the other health data, especially the EHR data, is highly fragmented, highly siloed. And then the tailwind started really in 2016 when I founded the company on you know wearable data and sensor data. And then the pandemic hits and look where we are now with remote patient monitoring and home health.
0: So I think that's a really interesting framing, like DNA as like a, a core coding mechanism, so to speak. So you don't have to have that, like uh, it, it is a protocol in and of itself that's universally recognized. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. Um, and is that why you think that interoperability at the level of the person, at the level of the patient is preferable in that case?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, DNA is just so sexy, right? And <laughs> yeah. everyone, you know, now knows what DNA is because of maybe uh, the vaccines and mRNA, right? But, um, uh, you know, in the last decade, uh, it's, it's really taken off because the technologies have been able to be commercialized from an R&D, R&D standpoint to commercialization, right? particularly in, in oncology settings and in rare disease, lots of exome and whole genome work has been done. But getting back to the interoperability and the um, preferable to other interoperability solutions and you know why and how we came up with this person-patient centric interoperability, um, it all has to do with the fact that people and patients or their caregivers, Joe, are in the best position to know where their health data resides Mm. and need to be able to access and engage with their data. Um, We learned that from the DNA side because you're able to do that from the DNA side. But by putting the patient at the center, we're able to break down silos that have forever challenged the healthcare system. And you know, as a physician yourself, you know this problem, you know how big interoperability is, and in the case of clinical trials and decentralized trials are now increasingly being adopted by pharma sponsors and contract research organizations and CROs, however, there needs to be real time, longitudinal data in order for there to be true decentralization. This is what we have realized And we've discovered with our technology at seekster and it's being adopted at scale now with some of the you know most amazing um uh enterprises across the world
0: yeah the the challenges of interoperability like you're you're spot on uh and having spent some time uh on the policy world um i also know that it's hard it's hard to have an edict on high that solves the problem, which is why we haven't like fully solved it yet. Um, but uh, putting, giving the patient and empowering them to own that piece of it, to, to like by definition breaking down the silos because it all resides at the patient level is um, it's really powerful. Um, and, and do you like, are you optimistic about the trends on this? I mean, I, I think I would have had a different answer on this a year ago, you know, and what like where we are trending with patient centered, person centered, interoperability or interoperability in general. Um, but like what like what what trends are you following? Are you are you optimistic about where this is at? I think I know the answer, but I think it's it's worth asking anyway.
1: Yeah, look, um, I think you have a great vantage point from your standpoint and all you're doing at AWS and Amazon because you get to see you know how big problems are, and again, the number one problem in healthcare is this data interoperability Mm -hmm. issue. It is breaking down those data silos. So um, when we're talking about a solution and a technology like Seekster, uh, we're able to see a lot of the trends, I guess, before they become trends. I mean, in 2016, when we founded the company, um, we knew that this was gonna be big. We just didn't know when it was gonna hit. I couldn't actually predict the pandemic, but right. I did predict that, you know, this is going to be a problem that's going to be growing far more faster than even cancer itself. Unfortunately, interoperability is not going away. Mm-hmm. I would say even on the podcast, just in the last five, six minutes, imagine how much data has been siloed and added To the spider web of interoperability itself right and how many lives have been lost because people are not truly owning controlling accessing and more importantly sharing their data with their consent Mm -hmm. but there's an amazing progress at the crossroads joe of digital health and life sciences that i'm seeing particularly as companies transition from site-based trials to decentralize clinical trials. The transition was accelerated by the pandemic and its variants, and these variants aren't gonna be slowing down anytime soon as you and I were just talking offline. But more importantly, pharma sponsors and CROs now realize they can run clinical studies faster, better, and cheaper when they're used by involving the patient. So that patient centricity is finally hitting, I think there's always a lag time between innovation and where the adoption happens and you and I are breathing it and living it now. And even within this conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I I think you're totally right. And, you know, I'm I'm curious from your vantage point being out there, you know, at that crossroads from the the digital health, the life science side, um, what, like, where are the remaining friction points that you see? When you're out, you know whether it's speaking to customers or potential partners or whatever that looks like. Where what are the what are the barriers that are yet to fall um, to to make this a full reality?
1: I think it's we have archaic systems still. Number one, number two, we have some old fashioned mindsets, bureaucracy, policies that need to be changed. I think um, CMS ONC is a great example. And we were thought partners and leaders in helping those um, rules drop on March 9th, twenty twenty. But then the pandemic, you know, delayed it a little mm-hmm. bit. And that's all about you know access for um, to patient data for providers and payers and other enterprises. More importantly, so it's great seeing things like that happen. But um, bureaucracy within the healthcare space is, I think. A major issue, and interoperability is not going to be solved by ONC Mm. or you know CMS or a bunch of smart you know IT folks. Sorry to say, (laughs) it's going to be delivered and solved by the patients. Interoperability will be delivered and solved through patient engagement. and this is what you know at Seekster we have discovered. It's a really powerful sentence if you kind of just think about what I just said interoperability will be solved through patient engagements. And that's why we've really focused on, you know, the life sciences sector, as well as building out a real world data collection platform where those use cases that you and I have spent, you know, years now talking at the halls of um, HLTH health conference or JP Morgan health conference, when we were running around, when it wasn't virtual and all the other great things that we would do. You know, everyone wanted a solution always. No one actually knew, you know, what dirty engineering had to be done on the back end Mm -hmm. in order to empower, like you said, patients' lives at scale, because we truly believe health data is medicine. And we could have never predicted Seekster would become law from CMS and ONC, but it did. And... That was another thing we couldn't predict in 2016. So I think all of this results in how you connect the dots of disparate data sources and um, collaboration is key on this.
0: It, in addition to the data, or I guess included in that data is that the progression of technology even of the last five, 10 years. Um, talk a bit about that. Like what's what's the progress been on the the, tech side that has made that vision of of Seekster a reality of what it is today? And as an adjunct to that, I would say, like, talk me through some of the, the, the trajectory. Like, have, have there been pivots? Like, are you doing something different or approaching it differently than when you founded the company several years ago?
1: Yeah, great, great question. You know, when we founded the company, we thought, hey, we can use some off-the-shelf technology or product and get our mvp out and when we started really digging into it in 2016 we couldn't however technology has progressed but interoperability joe um, of health data remains a major challenge and i guess um that gives us i guess a big job to fill too right or else we wouldn't be sitting here talking to you and we wouldn't have a job if the challenge didn't exist All the credit goes to the Seekster team in making the impossible a reality. Um, We cracked this code in 2018 when, you know, Dr. Eric Topol, as you know, tweeted as the first patient, as the first innovator, as the first skeptic, as someone who ran the Cleveland Clinic and now Scripps um, Research for, for so long. And he's probably the number one cited digital health futurist, right? And um, in 2018 in August, he shared his experience on Seekster on being able to bring all his data from 1985 to present mm. in four different health systems that we had no idea that we can get data out of. And his DNA data from his 23andMe accounts to his Fitbit data, to his nutrition data and MyFitnessPal, all labs from different systems, different EMRs, different versions in less than 24 hours. And he said, step in the right direction. So obviously he knows a little bit more than me and you. And that's that was the watershed moment for us where we knew that we had to pour all the gas on the fire that we lit. And we need to you know, really focus on um, a B2B approach and we realized how important, Joe, our technology is for patients and their researchers, right? And within this, we improve our capabilities every day to make the experiences better for everyone, whether it's the user interface, whether it's questionnaires, whether it's working with, you know, a top pharma client or a top analytic company or a top, you know, AI company, um, whoever our customer is, we've learned a lot about how to improve the system because we're working with really diverse um, use cases. However, there's an under silver underlining underneath it all. And it's the fact that they all, no matter what use case you're dealing with, no matter what segment we're talking about, whether it's payer, provider, pharma, consumer brands such as Amazon, wanting to launch the next, you know, prime health. Look, at the end of the day, you're gonna have to deal with patients' health data and how do you empower them? How do you engage them? And this is what we've really focused on.
0: Your, the comment you made about realizing how much you'd have to build. Um, I'd love to, to unpack that a bit um, because this is, this is not your first venture. Right, you've done, you've been out doing new stuff in healthcare and in the biotech life science space. So, what, like, what lessons were you bringing in from those previous ventures, and then how did that, how did that get you to that buy build, fork in the road, I guess?
1: Yeah, look, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful and and fortunate to have been able to network with folks like yourself, innovators physicians, um, the medical community, um, the clinical diagnostic community, the genomics community, the um, healthcare community. Um, I have a really diverse um, view because of my experience in building multiple startups before this that have been very successful. Um, Built a billion dollar enterprise, you know, out of really nothing with a great team. And we were able to um, be part of the SCOTUS decision of 2013 of fighting gene patents. And that all came from, you know, the fact that my mom um, has been a breast cancer survivor for a long time. Mm. Um, if we fast forward to Seekster, Seekster saved my dad's life with colon cancer by running a tumor board in six hours and getting him into surgery in a couple days versus weeks. And he dodged a bullet from stage three um, uh, colon cancer stage two. So, I think bootstrapping and um, what I've learned a lot is what not to do. It's far more important to know all the pitfalls to avoid and how to bootstrap. The startup lessons from before is the greatest asset of any CEO. And this may be hard for early CEOs that um, it's their first startup or their first experience. But I think you have to be relentless and you have to be an avid learner. I'm a student of business. No matter how successful you are, you know the key to my success and our team success has been, you know, um, I instill everyone in underdog DNA. We're still underdogs. We're still figuring it out. We're learning from you. We're learning from the next call. We're learning from the call before you. We're learning from the dinner last night. We're learning from, you know, the um, 35 year plus experience individual that flew down to see me yesterday. Mm. Uh, We're learning every moment. And I think if you can learn quickly, if you can um, learn from the mistakes of others, if you haven't made those mistakes yourself to not do it again, it really helps give you confidence. It really helps clear the road and know how to position. And the last thing I'd like to say is you got to have a sixth sense. And this is something I can't teach. You got to go with your guts. Your lawyers aren't always right. Your board members are not always right. Your investors are not always right. And that's what it takes to be a real CEO. You have to be able to make really tough decisions decisions. You got to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, get comfortable in uncomfortable situations, make hard decisions. And a lot of times you're going to be wrong, but know how to change that. Mm -hmm. Go find the answer and network. And, you know, I do that. I don't know every
0: millisecond if I can. I've seen you at the conferences. I know, I know you. <laughs> you're out there. It's great. No, I, I'm, uh, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by what, like, what's the fifth startup different than the first, you know, and like in focusing just on that, that realization that there isn't, there aren't enough pieces out there necessarily to cobble together. And you're going to have to build a lot of this, right. You're going to build this plane kind of thing. Um, I, it's hard to look, you know, hindsight is twenty-twenty, certainly, but that this question of like, if you were doing that for your first startup and not, you know, down the road after having done those, like how quickly do you get to that decision and, and your instinct about whether that's the right decision. And then being able to pivot is, is always fascinates me. Um, and I'm curious as you were building, knowing what, you know, and having been through various stages of various companies and successful exits and navigating policy, hurdles uh, what were you, what was your early team building like like what kind of roles were you hiring for um commercial focus technical like what did that what did that look like
1: yeah you know I I really focused on the product first engineering and the product first um and uh I have a wonderful partner in crime and, and co-founder and chief technology officer, where we built three companies together. I think the early connections you make and friends you make are so critical to your career path. And as, as you get better, your team should get better and mm-hmm. you should make your team better and your team makes you better. So that's number one. Number two is um, instead of putting together a business plan, I kind of have done it always differently. None of the businesses that I've been involved with, I know this sounds really interesting and and strange, actually had a business plan. I always had a mission. So I always put mission before business plan, even though I'm a business guy. And um, at the end of the day, the business always comes if you have a really good product a really good mission and if you can last long enough i call it treading water (laughs) if you and i go out to Kauai or the pacific ocean or the caribbean or south of france i could tread water longer than you and the only reason being is because my determination and practice Mm. in, in in um the craft so if you can tread water long enough Maybe a boat's gonna come by, maybe an oil tanker's gonna (laughs) come by, maybe a shark's gonna come by, you're gonna have a fight, but something's gonna come by. Yeah, and I call that opportunity. So tread water long enough and seize that opportunity. And if it's not the right opportunity, something else is gonna come by. Maybe it's a really big tidal wave that takes you into the shore. You don't know. And so being mission driven, I think, is the ultimate key actually. And a lot of founders and entrepreneurs think that you have to go for the dollar sign and this is where they get it wrong. Mm. And um, it's hard because of course you want to make a dollar, but it's far greater and better if you can do good by doing well.
0: Mm.
1: And Um, That takes, I think, businesses and teams into a whole other stratosphere. And then you'll you'll see the results on the product as well as you'll see how customers react to your team because they know you're in it for the long haul and not for the short one.
0: Clearly, the 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 gorilla in the room, the elephant in the room, whatever large animal you want to have in the room, uh, for a lot of these conversations now is COVID nineteen, which you referenced before. Um, how has that impacted Seekster? Is it at the product level? Is it at the, you know, strategic level? Like, what you, you know, you're? I'm I'm curious what you can share on how it's shifted or hasn't shifted your interaction with your customers. Uh, Cause that's really, you know, what matters, you know, we talk about customer obsession at, at Amazon and I know that's something that's important to you all too. Um, what is that, like, how different are those conversations from March, April, 2020 to now? Like what kind of shift did you see in that dialogue?
1: Yeah. Great question. And um, number one, I think COVID actually not even, I think it's more, I know, I know COVID-19 has accelerated digital health, Joe, by 10 years. It's 20, it's 2032. Mm. It's not 2022 in my eyes. And if COVID-19 didn't happen, I think a lot of things that you see from telemedicine to home health, to decentralized trials, to, you know, Seekster's amazing technology for real time, you know, longitudinal health records and all that good stuff. Um, would not be where it needs to be. And COVID-19 has accelerated the adoption. Um, It has pushed many of the government mandated laws you see now across the world, protecting patient data ownership Hmm. and access. And what we've seen um, with our enterprise clients, they understand that patient-centric interoperability yields higher quality data while engaging their customers, which are their patients. And um, before, these were kind of buzzwords. Instead, they are now, we've gone from the nice-to-haves to to the have-to-haves, or I needed this yesterday, and I need to catch up. And that's what I've seen from 2020 to 2022, really. It's really exciting. However, we're in the infancy of digital health. It is incredible, and seeing, having seen the infancy of the internet. Even though I'm not 100 years old, I'm only 42 now. I just turned 42 a couple of weeks ago, but um, uh, it's I, I I I saw the um, the infancy of the genomic era, and now I've I'm seeing the infancy of the digital health era. This is biology's century, and I'm so glad that I picked biological sciences as my major back in 1998. Right. Because it's finally hitting, there's a lag period. And as you know, you don't need to be a physician Mm. to actually change or impact health, medicine or science. And that's
0: what I'm really seeing now. Yeah, and in fact, it may even be a, given the shift, the generational shift in this, Um, It's almost an advantage not to be, you know, I think the, um, something that I've thought about in terms of care delivery models is, it's hard, it's hard to reframe the whole discussion, um, you know, around, we talk about this in value based care a lot, like, the transition from volume to value, as an example, if you've lived your whole life as a provider or administrator or working at the payer level, thinking in terms of volume, Now thinking in terms of value is a real shift and um, you need folks that grew up in the value mindset to then innovate within that realm. And I, I, I'm hearing from you a lot of the same things like at the early stages, you're going to reproduce a lot of the old models digitally, let's say, and now how do you get to the next level of that? And it sounds like that's what you all have in mind for 2022 and beyond for Seekster.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know um, some of the greatest growth opportunities that we see uh, for 2022 and beyond is healthcare as a whole. Joe, as you explained, is um, expanding rapidly, and the greatest growth opportunity is in drug discovery and research, where you know studies require that longitudinal real-world data streaming directly from the patients, and seeks to empowers you know, those pharma sponsors and the CROs to successfully transition to decentralized trials. Without real-time, real-world data, companies are stuck in the old models that we just spoke about, some being like the EDC or electronic data capture, Mm. which is static data models that is time-consuming and costly for sponsors and all those other good things. It's, um, It's really... Uh, fascinating to see that um, multiple different segments, whether it's pharma, consumer brands, payers, providers, are so interested in becoming a digital health company for their customers, for their patients, because they have to, like I said, and this is where our technology is just such a game changer. I cannot express, and you can probably hear it in my voice, (laughs) How powerful our technology is! Give us a call. We're here to help you seriously.
0: And and Artie, I I just want to want to close this out. You've I've had the privilege of seeing you provide some of this advice to entrepreneurs and new CEOs um, at conferences and other places. But what's what's your like when somebody approaches you and says, "I'm the CEO of a, a a seed stage health tech startup," and I you know heard you on a podcast or I you know read some of the stuff that you've been saying. what's your what's your advice for those folks?
1: Yeah, first off, I, I respond to every single person that approaches me from an entrepreneur standpoint. I love helping entrepreneurs. Um, it's It's what I do every day as an entrepreneur myself and a learning oper- entrepreneur. So uh, number one, um, you know, happy to chat, happy to, you know, message, happy to send an email to anyone that has a question or is just wanting, you know, a a sounding board there. Um, My advice is be fearless, right? Um, Be relentless, find something that you truly believe in and go all in on it. And everyone talks about pivoting. It's okay to pivot business models. Do not pivot your mission. Mm. Since day one of founding my company, Seekster is really simple. It's all about seeking health data for patients. It's never been any different. And that's why we are where we are today. It's about treading that water, right? Because keep it really simple. Mm. Don't try to go do everything. Be laser focused once you find a use case. And find really good partners, find really good customers. And for those folks that tell you no, it's okay. Move on.
0: They're gonna come back if you really got something. Artie Aryanpur, CEO and founder of Seekster. Thanks for joining me today. Joe, it was a
1: pleasure. I really enjoyed being on your incredible AWS Amazon podcast. Thank you, AWS and Amazon, for all you guys too. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups.